want to tell you something. It's not about the bread. It's not about the bread. Will you repeat with me? It's not about the bread. Will you say it louder? It's not about the bread. It's not about the bread. I want to tell you today that it's not about the bread. And God wants to speak to you directly and say to you, it's not about the bread. And you're saying, what on earth are you on about tonight? Well, unless you've been living under a rock, you know that the price of everything is going up. The price of food, the price of bread, the price of fuel, the price of electricity. Inflation is going up. Everything just seems to be getting more and more expensive and everything is getting harder and harder to get. Rent is going up. Mortgages are going up. There's not enough houses for everyone. You can't get an apartment unless you chop off your right arm and your right leg. You can't get space to stay or a place to live. Every week we have three or four people contact the church to say, I I'm moving to Cork, could I get somewhere to live? We're going like, Everything is getting harder economically right now. And unless you're living under rock, you're also going to be affected by that. Unless you don't listen to the news, unless you don't watch anything ever on social media, and you live on a spike or up on a tower in the middle of nowhere, it's going to affect you, and it's going to get inside your head, and it's going to get inside your heart, and it's going to get inside your, inside your soul. But let me ask you something. Imagine if the issue of how everything is going to be provided for, how we'll be able to afford everything, from education to housing to fuel to food to heating. Imagine that was resolved. Imagine if tomorrow morning you didn't have to think about any of those things. You got an inheritance from your distant uncle Sean who moved from Shanagari to Shenandoah in Virginia who became an oil billionaire and in his inheritance or in his will remembered you and left you a hundred million euros. Amen. <laughs> Uncle Sean, if you're out there, knock once. <laughs> Imagine that happened to you. I have a question for you. Then what? Then what would your life be preoccupied with? Then what would your mind be preoccupied with? Then what would you live your life for? Then what would you worry about? You see, there's probably some people here in this room, and if you are, you can identify yourself to me afterwards and lay hands on me, who are already rich enough that they never need to worry again about finances at all. Maybe that's in your situation, but what are you going to worry and what are you going to think about now? I watched a piece on the news the other day where they were asking people outside a Tesco and outside an Aldi in the UK what it was they were going to do, what were they worried about, were they worried about money and were they worried about the cost of food and every one of them said they did and then this woman walked up and they said and what about you, are you worried about the cost of money? She said, no, absolutely not. <laughs> and the face she said, I'm very wealthy and I don't have to consider worrying about those things at all. I eat in Waitrose and I eat from Marks and Spencer. <laughs> we'll be praying for her. <laughs> but what if you didn't have to worry about then what would you think about? What would you think about? Let me tell you this morning, it's not about the bread, brothers and sisters. I think, here's the thing, I think the Bible teaches us in the New Testament that that is exactly our situation. That we already have an inheritance that has been bequeathed to us, which means that our future care is covered and taken care of. 
that we needn't worry about what the days have to bring at all because God is in control. It's my contention that Jesus taught it and Paul re-emphasized it and did Peter and the other apostles in their teaching in the scriptures. They re-emphasized that that is already our situation. Our distant uncle Sean from Shanagari to Shenandoah has died and we've been left an inheritance that will not spoil or fade. I read about it at the start. I contend that that's what the Bible teaches. But that's not what our world teaches. And it's not what our culture teaches. And it's certainly not what our news media teaches. I want to look today at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. And I want to just give a preamble. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, Jesus feeds 4,000 people. And he sends his disciples around to pick up the leftovers afterwards. And after this happened, he gets a visit. He gets a request and a test, or a test and a request. Somebody comes to talk to him immediately after these events. And there's some of his old sparring partners, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Can we pray before we look at God's word? Will you bow your head with me? Father in heaven, you know every life here. You know every heart here. You know every situation here. You know every worry here. You know every care here. As we listen to your word, may we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. May our expectation grow as we listen to your word. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Okay, it says this. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. The Pharisees and the Sadducees had also seen what had just happened. The 4,000 people fed from just a handful of loaves and a couple of fish. They'd seen it. And yet still they came to Jesus and said, show us a sign. Hello, 4,000 people, pay attention. But you see, that wasn't what was going on in their hearts at all. This was a test. It was a cynical, hard-hearted attempt to undermine Jesus' authority. It was a deliberate malice of forethought, designed to undermine them. And Jesus is upset at their hardness of heart. The word tested here is the same as the word tempted that is used in Matthew's Gospel when it speaks of how the devil came and tempted Jesus. It's the same Greek root word, tempted, tested, same thing. And in this situation, you can see how the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and tempted would be just as good a word, Jesus, by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Prove to us you are who you say you are, having ignored all the previous signs that he'd shown them. Here's one thing Jesus said, I will not show a sign. It's a wicked and adulterous generation that, should, that asked for a sign. And we said, Lord, it's just a sign. What he's saying is that there's already plenty of signs. He says, the only sign I'll give you is the sign of Jonah, who, as Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man will be three days in the heart of the earth. That's the sign to end all signs, that Jesus rose again on the third day. But as Jesus finishes up this conversation, he gets in the boat with his disciples to travel across the Sea of Galilee. And to quote Alfred Eidersheim, Jesus at this stage is sullen. He's upset by the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and what they're trying to do. He's upset that they cannot see what's plain and obvious in front of them. That they refuse to see what's plain in front of them. And so Jesus begins to talk to his disciples. From this attitude, from this, from this unbelieving, cold, hard-heartedness, this is what Jesus says. 
They went across the lake and the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so they discussed it amongst themselves. Mm, that sounds pretty deep. Yeah, it's going to deep. And they said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. That's what he meant. Beware the yeast of the Let's see, it's yeast that is bread. I'm sure some clever Trevor must have been Judas, who was the, whose mind was on other kind of bread. But um, who, some clever Trevor said, okay, it's there. Look, let's see, he's talking about yeast. So yeast isn't bread, so it must be bread he's talking about. It's because we forgot to bring bread. And so Jesus goes from the hard-hearted to the hard-headed, or so it would appear. I don't know, sometimes I kind of am in both camps at times. There you go. You discuss it. And then Jesus said this. Aware of their discussion, Jesus said, You have little faith. Why are you talking amongst yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Hello, is the translation from the Greek. Can you not get it? Do you have so little faith? Like, like, hello, I'm not talking about bread. It's not about the bread. Don't you remember, he says, the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or do you remember the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? Are ye thick or what? I just added that bit from the Amplified Bible. Like, could they not see it? Like, Jesus does bread. Bread is not a problem for Jesus. It's not about bread. Don't be thinking about bread. You need bread, I'll give you bread. Bread's not a problem. Food is not a problem. Provision's not a problem. I'm in that department. I look after that, Jesus is saying. But then he goes on to say this, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then they understood that he was not telling them to get, be on guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's not about the bread. Will you repeat it with me? It's not about the bread. Good. The point he's making is be on your guard against this awful teaching that they are teaching. Because if it gets into you, like yeast, it'll get all over your life. If you begin to consume what they're saying, it'll get all over your life. You'll begin to think strange thoughts. You'll begin to behave in strange ways. You'll develop attitudes of hardness of heart and hardness of mind just like they did. He said, don't be worrying about bread. I will look after the bread. You've got something more important to worry about. Let me talk to you for a second about yeast. When Jesus talks about yeast, you've got to remember the context of yeast. It's really important. You talk about yeast, you like, ah, yeast, whatever you have in yourself. Yeast is very important. Here's the first clue of the importance of yeast, and it's this. Yeast bread was first baked, yeast in bread, it was in other things before that, but in bread was first baked in Egypt, somewhere around 1300 to 1500 years BC. Now, if you know your Bible history, you know that that's the time when the Israelites left Egypt. So, the new development, if you will, the new culinary development in Egypt happened just at the time when the Israelites were escaping from Egypt. And so the yeast became symbolic of Egypt itself. And that is why every time they have a festival, they're told to break bread made without yeast. That's why they're told to make it, because yeast was symbolic. What was it symbolic of? It was symbolic. It was a metaphor for sin and evil influence. It was a metaphor. Symbolic. It, was, it, was, it meant sin and evil influence. And it also meant, very importantly, it referenced captivity. 
The idea of being taken captive by the Egyptians, about being bound, by being chained, that's what it referred to. So when he talked about yeast, and when you look at it in this metaphorical context, this is what Jesus is talking about. The other important thing about yeast, last thing for about yeast, it's the effect of yeast. It works through the whole loaf, and it sours, hence sourdough bread, and it swells and it spreads. So when you begin to take in some of this little stuff, it begins to spread and make its way through your whole life, until you're unrecognizable in the end. When you see a flat piece of dough, and you see a raised piece of dough, they're unrecognizable. The effect that the, the yeast has on it. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Don't let the, the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees get in. So what were the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? We could be here all day talking about them. So I've summed them up in two M words to make it nice and simple because I think it covers them. The first one, the Pharisees. Their main sin, or it could be summed up in this, moralism. That was how they lived. They lived by moral rules and then they looked down on everyone who didn't obey the same moral rules. They were legalistic. All moralism leads to legalism. All legalism leads to moralism. Because at the end of the day, if I'm obeying the law, you need to obey the law too. That was their thinking. And so what happened was, for the Pharisees, who in actual fact started off as probably the good guys, they should have been the good guys. In actual fact, you see that there's some in the book of Acts are actually in the Christian church after the resurrection of Jesus. They should have been the good guys, but because of their moralism, judging people because of their moral life and moral behavior, they became enemies of Jesus Christ. That's why they would say things like, why does your teacher eat with scum like this? Drunkards and tax collectors. Why is he hanging around with those people? And it's why Jesus would use a Pharisee in his emblematic parable, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector when it says that a, a Pharisee went up to the temple and he prayed and so did the tax collector. And what did the Pharisee pray? Lord, I thank you that I'm not like him. Because he's a dirty sinner. Oh, he's a filthy sinner. And I want nothing to do with him. Because I'm not a sinner at all. Ah. Ah. It's a dangerous thing to point out the sins of others. Because for every finger you point, four are pointing back at you. Especially if you've got a double jointed thumb. They point back at you. And so that was the moralism, if you will. I just want to sum up. Moralism was the sin of the Pharisees. Lads, there's nothing attractive about the gospel of moralism. God wants to improve your life. He wants to do so much more than that. He wants to save your marriage. He wants to do so much more than that. He wants to give you good prospects. He wants to do so much more than that. Moralism is no gospel. It is a, it's a sellout to the gospel. When we look down on people who don't have our moral standard, and it is right, by the way, to have a moral standard. It is good to have a biblical moral standard. That is 100% right. But only... It can only be judged by people who say they believe in Jesus. If somebody doesn't know the Lord, they will live a different life morally, whether we like it or not. And us looking down on them will not draw them closer to Jesus, I can tell you that. It will not draw them closer. Moralism is so dangerous because it binds you into legalism and a legalist behavior and mindset. What was the belief of the, Pharise of the Sadducees? The Sadducees were different. They had a slightly different view of the world. The Sadducees suffered from materialism. Materialism is not only a preoccupation with material things like money or putting the value of money and comfort higher than putting spiritual values. It's not only that because materialism is probably in some sense in all of our souls in that way, but they had a different kind. They were also philosophical materialists in effect because the, the Sadducees had the funniest of beliefs, right? What the Sadducees, they didn't believe that there was life after death. They didn't believe in angels, they didn't believe in spirits, and they didn't believe in the resurrection. 
didn't believe any of those things. So no angels, no spirits, no life after death, no resurrection. And that is why they were sad, you see. Very <laughs> good. Thanks. I made it up myself. Sadducees were a bit like Madonna, the prophetess Madonna who said, you know we are living in a material world and I am a material girl. She, they were just like her. They believed in all that you could see was all that there was. There wasn't anything beyond this life and that made them philosophical materialists. And of course because you're a philosophical materialist, you will become a literal materialist in that you will then go, hang on a second, if this life is all there is, then gathering as much for me and protecting me and providing for me is the most important thing that there is. One flows straight out of the other. And if you read the New Testament, they are absolutely jam-packed full of warnings against these two mindsets, these two teachings, these two attitudes. The moralist attitude is attacked time and time and time and time and time again by Jesus in the Gospels. And the materialism is attacked not only by Jesus, but also later in the letters. Also later in the letters of Paul and Peter, they attack to say, lads, don't let this world get under your skin, but trust in God. I love when, when the, Paul writes to the Hebrews, he says, he says, don't be taken by a love of money because the Lord has said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. You don't need money. Does it mean that you have a job and you earn a living? Of course it does. Please, I know nobody would interpret me as making such an extreme statement. But these two mindsets are warned against because if they get into your system, they work their way through your whole system and before you know it, you become a materialist and a moralist and really nobody wants to be around you. And you ruin your faith in that process. Are you with me so far? Yeah. That's why Jesus was saying, it's not about the bread, it's about your heart, it's about your soul and it's about your teaching. That's what it's actually about. So let me ask you today, what's on your mind? What's on your mind? What preoccupies your mind? Because I think I'm a fairly normal person. I'm an average person. I don't mean normal. I'm definitely not normal. But I'm, I'm definitely an average person, right? So I even have the average foot size. If they're average height, it's unbelievable. I'm, I've got the whole lot. Anyway, between the jigs and the reels, let me tell you this. What's on your mind? What is the thing that exercises your mind? Jesus said, he warned, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, he said, lads, what are ye all worried about? Do not worry. See the birds of the air? They'll sow and reap and stow into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he says this. He says, so don't worry about saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Hallelujah. He already knows it, guys. And so therefore we don't need to be preoccupied with it in the way that the world would have us be preoccupied, in the way that our culture would have us be preoccupied, in the way that media would have us be preoccupied. Jesus is saying, don't be preoccupied because you have a greater hope and you have a greater purpose and you have a heavenly father who watches out for you. And all you need to know, all you need to know about who you are and all you need to know about what your future is is summed up in these three words, your heavenly father you have a father in heaven your heavenly father what does that mean if he is your heavenly father what does that make you his his child you are his child 
And do you think God looks after his children? Do you think he protects and provides for his children? Yes, he does. And not only is that, he's not only going to provide and protect, he's actually going to change you if you will let yourself be changed. Nothing in all the universe can stop you becoming the person God wants you to become other than you. You're the only one. You're the only one who can stop it. So he says, what will we eat? What will we? He says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows your needs. Like to Jesus, he kept on saying, it's not about the bread. God provides for his people. Would anyone say amen? amen? It's not about the bread. And while I was preparing this message this week, just so as you know, God really does provide. And sometimes he provides in extraordinary ways. Elma and I, my wife, we've experienced it. Has anybody here ever experienced the provision of God in their lives? Just raise your hand. Okay, good job. Just look around you if you're in need today. All of these people have experienced. We'll get to that in a second. But something happened to me this week. Um, and it was just as I was preparing the message, I received some post. And you know what? Lord speaks to us sometimes by these events. And I received some post. And uh, I couldn't believe it. So in my front door this week, uh, I know how to describe this. A letter comes through the door this week. I have the letter here in my hand, right? And it was just, I saw the letter on the ground, and I, I recognized it was from the state, and I scratched my head, I said, what is this about? And I opened the letter. Uncle Sean. I opened the letter. Uncle Sean, no. <laughs> I opened the letter, and inside the letter there was a check. So hold on, have faith, brothers and sisters, have faith. I could not believe it. Obviously, when I began to open the letter, I realized it was a check. That's, I'm going to be honest with you, my heart raised, I said, Lord, I can't believe it. You're proving yourself, just what I'm preaching, teaching about on Sunday, you are proving yourself. I opened the check, and I read it. Michael F. O'Donovan, Elma O'Donovan. And let our address, I won't read it out online. <laughs> A check for 50 cents. Fifty cents. Hallelujah. And I looked at the check, and the Lord spoke to me, and He said, "It's not about the bread." Are you with me? Are you with me? It's not about the bread. He can send me a million of those checks if He wants to. It's not about the bread, brothers and sisters. Fifty whole cents. And I said to tell them when I came home, I said, darling, you wouldn't believe that I'm so blessed. All I need is another euro and I can buy a bar of chocolate. Yes! Hallelujah! Because the Lord is my provider. Not the state of Ireland, would anyone say amen? He's yours too. He's yours too. Are you with me? It's not about the bread. Will you say it with me again? It's not about the bread. Because Jesus goes on to say this. He says, but you seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And what will he give you? Everything you need. Hallelujah. Have you got a need this morning? I always have a need. Do you have a need this morning? He will give you everything you need. Put him first and he will give you everything you need. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, I could tell you other stories, but I won't today, all right? I could tell you much better stories than that, brothers and sisters, anyway. 
He said he will give you everything, not the odd thing, not the surprisingly occasional thing, not the check that drops through the door, not from Uncle Sean, but from Uncle Seamus and the government. He will give you everything you need. And I can tell you this, I've been a Christian since 1986. That is true. Would anybody else say that is true? Would you raise your hand if you believe that's true? Because we need to do something else. And that's why he's saying, no, don't worry about the bread. Focus on the kingdom of God. Put that first in your mind. Put that first in your thoughts. Don't let materialism, don't let moralism get under your skin. Focus on the kingdom of God and then look after everything else. Because we need to remember something, brothers and sisters. Remember, remember, remember. It's so important to remember. What do we need to remember? Here's a quote by Walter Michel, a very famous psychologist. He said, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. What happened in the past will happen again in the future. Paul, uh, the, Paul writing to the Hebrews, said, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then he goes on to say, which most people don't reference, so therefore, he says, don't embrace any new strange ideas. Because the gospel hasn't changed. Amen. And what Jesus said about our lives hasn't changed. Amen. But let me take it to this point. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. If the Lord has done it before, he will do it again. He will do it again. If that door has opened before, it will open again. If that cupboard is bare, he will fill it again. He will do it. And so when we say we know he will do it, we can say, right, let's move on. Let's move on. Jesus said it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Don't be thinking about bread, think about the word of God. Don't be thinking about bread and provision all the time, think about the word of God. Don't be thinking about being morally, a morally good person, God will take care of that. Don't be thinking about material things, think about the word of God. Let that work through you, let that become in you like yeast. So that it will build you up and it will work its way into every part of your life. And all of your values and all of your thinking and all of your decisions will be influenced by that word itself. Are you with me? Amen. Because ultimately this, ultimately this, and we're going to close in prayer in just a second. Ultimately this, whatever we think we might need, whatever we think might satisfy us, only one thing will truly satisfy us. And that is Jesus himself. That is Jesus himself. When he fed thousands of people in John's Gospel chapter 6. And they followed him around because they were getting their dinner. Jesus turned to them and he made this emblematic statement. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Because he himself is all we need to be satisfied.